Welcome back to the Bad Bitch segment, bitches. Welcome, welcome to the pod lab. This is my bedroom. So this is our first bitch session ever, and my wonderful sister Emma is joining us. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us, being our first guest on the segment. How do you feel about it? I feel honored. I think that's it's really exciting that you two are doing the podcast that you wanted to do for so long, and it's I like to talk about myself. So it'll be nice to do that. <laughs> well, we want to learn all about you. Hardcore Gemini. And stuff, so. Yeah, hardcore Gemini energy over here. Yeah, right, I knew you'd be a great guest. So, <laughs> yeah. Before we really get into talking to you, though, is there anything we want to say about... Oh, wait. So, we're recording this in between recording the Paris episodes, but Paris is yes. coming out first. So, is there Paris anything you want to say about... Is- Paris in between the Parises. I'm sorry for all right. our banter and interrupting each other. Yeah, we've lived <laughs> together. So, <laughs> we've lived together so long. It's like we kind of have an odd. Well, we both inner know, monologue that. Yeah, and we both know so much about <laughs> like the cult industry and stuff that yeah. it, was, it was very. I don't know. You get really excited talking. Yeah. About that. I also feel like we're just like these motherfuckers. Banter (laughs) is, I feel like, what makes a podcast, and I don't think you should apologize for banter. Well, thank you. When you hear people write into podcasts where they like apologize for telling a long story, yeah, I don't think no, don't apologize for telling a long story. Yeah, banter. In my I, opinion. <laughs> I agree. And also, I'm, like, known to tell long stories. Apparently, that's something I get made fun of a lot for. By yeah, my back. But I don't care. <laughs> They're probably good stories. But, yeah, so this episode will be airing in January. So it'll be 2024. So hello from the past. Oh God! You know what it will be? What will it be like a few weeks from now? Will the world be more peaceful? <laughs> too warm. God, probably. I hope so. It'll probably be warm. Oh, that's the thing too. We had a very green Christmas in Buffalo. Oh here. my God! Very apocalyptic indeed. I'm just like driving through the rain, thinking about how it should be snow. Yeah, but it's yeah. fucking fifty degrees. Yeah. So last year we had a negative 20 wind chill with 10 feet of snow all locked in our houses. Yes. And then Christmas, <laughs> on Christmas Day. Yeah. And then Christmas Day this year was 65 and sunny. Yeah. Yeah. Last Ridiculous. year was terrifying. Ter- last year, how many people died? 42. 42 people died. May they rest in peace. The yeah. blizzard of 2022? 2021. Because it was before Two. 2022, yeah. Oh my god, what is time? What is time? <laughs> it's not a flat circle, it, it's in it's, waves, apparently. It's linear. Yeah, Frederick Nietzsche was wrong. Oh, according to Tom DeLong, <laughs> time is linear. Oh, he thinks it is? Yeah. So just straight forward and back? Yeah. Or forward, you wouldn't go back, I guess. You can never go back? He doesn't think wow. everything's all kind of happening at the same time? Well, yeah, yeah. So, so there's like different dimensions going on, and like so that wouldn't be linear, would it? But then again, I guess if you're in different timelines, it all could be going on at the same time. Like as yeah. we're witnessing the fall of, oh, yeah, world, world might yeah. be falling in another dimension right now. 
Oh dear. I, I feel like consider linear is like the the A B C. Yeah. Right. Like the. It's always going. Always going forward. Always right. progressing. Yeah, but I don't think of it that way. But I'm not like up on my tongue along. Me neither. But I also sense. think of like time slips and stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. I'll send you the episode Wild Ride. Yeah. That's good. So just to kind of talk about this, so we decided we're gonna do this thing called a bitch session. And basically, it's just going to be us having a conversational interview with a bad bitch. And it's not something that we're going to be releasing out of the normal schedule. It just might be something that happens every once in a while. Yeah. And I think Emma has a great story that people should hear and has a lot of great things to say. And that's why I wanted her to be our first bad bitch. Yeah, I think we're surrounded Uh, by a lot of very strong women with great careers and they've gone through a lot of obstacles to get there and I think it's I think it's good that people know about them too not just yes. pop culture people but yeah see life friends the not the not yet famous the not, the yet, not famous. yet famous yes yeah exactly our beverage of the week may not be a famous or familiar name to all of you but she holds a special place in my heart a superstar teacher who advocates for her students while working but climbs rock faces in her spare time. It's a wonder that she spent a great portion of her life fighting a chronic illness and does all of this now while living with an ostomy bag. Emma, my sister, is a brilliant, fiery fighter who's never afraid to say what needs to be said or climb what needs to be climbed and has been married and divorced before (laughs) age 30. Thankfully, she returned from the brink of death to road trip across the country in a truck and I thought she would be an interesting and inspirational person to have for our first bitch session. Yay! That is like too sweet. That's too sweet. We don't have a clap track yet. That's too sweet. I appreciate it. And what are we drinking right now? Prosecco. Yay. So I'm about to some Prosecco. Yeah. 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 Oh, go ask that they are. A little Mine I finished. Do you need some more? Uh, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> As we go. All right. So the first few questions I have are a little bit more like long, like, but the rest are just kind of probably things that'll just come up in conversation anyway, but still sure. points I want to go over. <laughs> when I first approached you about coming out of the podcast, I wanted you to retell a story of your visit to Lilydale, New York from when you were a kid, mm-hmm. uh, a visit that I misremembered hardcore thinking that a visitation had come through to you there that had inspired you to go into teaching. Turns out that wasn't the case. And, but actually you fell into teaching almost because of dealing with your chronic illness. Yeah, so the story with Lilydale, the way that I remember it, I was there for a friend's 16th birthday and in Lilydale, you can pay to go have readings done, but we were at the, the stump reading, I think they call it. It's, it's at Chautauqua Lake, right? Yeah, in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lily in like, um, like it's in the Finger Lakes. Yeah, the Finger yeah. Lakes. Is it? I mean, I didn't know. I thought it was going more towards south, like going past. I thought it was more. It's on the lake. Just it's for our out of town listeners. It's so yeah, Lily yeah. is a spiritualist community. It's one of the oldest spiritualist communities in the world. Spiritualism yeah. pretty much started here, which is pretty cool. We got a spooky area. Yeah, and so they have this stump reading, where it like is around a tree stump. And you go and you sit in the audience and it's the mediums, I guess, channeling. And towards the end of the reading, the medium had said something, from what I can remember, something along the lines of like, somebody, I think they even said grandfather, is like presenting a 
I think it was like a silver platter with books on it or something like that and I think through the other clues she was giving it seemed like it was my grandfather based on like his naval his history in the navy and she had said it had something to do with going into a field of communication Mm. and I think at the time being in high school I was really interested in reading and writing and thought I was gonna like go to India and live as a hermit and study religion. Oh, damn. Like I was going to be like, go into like religious scholarship or something like that. Theology is very interesting. Oh my God. Yeah. What religion? I think I was like interested in Buddhism. You were super into Buddhism. Oh, and yeah. I remember because I was super late to the game and bought her like a Buddhist book. And she's like, I took a Buddhist class in college and it made me hate it. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was really mean. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry. Oh, my gosh. What a like, non-tactful thing to say. Um, I think I got to say it like that. But it was pretty much that, that you were like, I don't really read anything about Buddhism anymore because oh. I took a class and I was like, Sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. That's not an authentic way that I feel now. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I was, like, at the time really interested in, like, reading and writing, blah, 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 blah. So I don't know that I thought of it as teaching. Mm-hmm. More so as just, like, yeah, I'm going to, like, write and I'm going to do yeah. this. Which, which like, I did do in yeah, yeah. college. I was an English major and did journalism at my college. You um, got to travel a lot. Too. I got to travel a lot because of writing. When I was going to get my master's degree, I had a mentor professor and we published an article together and I got to travel to Portugal to present with her. Wow. So I did do like reading and writing mm-hmm. academically, but teaching happened in a very roundabout way. Like I didn't ever intend to go into teaching, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is weird, because I guess, like I said, I misremembered. I thought you really always wanted to be a teacher. My niece wants to be a teacher. Yeah. It's a noble job. I hate it. It is. (laughs) I love, my phrase is like, I love getting paid to work with kids. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And if you're, you're really great at it. Like, not everybody, not everybody can be a teacher. When you first started teaching, you worked in the city of Buffalo. Mm Mm-hmm. And you grew up in Buffalo, you're always a very, like, you, you always liked the city. I remember you always very mm. much liked being here. Now you're kind of in this middle of nowhere place in Vermont, mm-hmm. and where you have to drive a half hour to get to where you work. And how did that translate for you, just in your, how different you feel from moving from a big city to such a small area after pretty much living here a good part your entire life in the city? And, and then also that? teaching. Sorry. I'm, no, I'm sorry. What what grade are you teaching? Now? I teach, like, upper elementary school. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask that, too. Yeah. <laughs> upper elementary school, and luckily I get to... We're departmentalized, meaning we get to teach one subject. So I just I just do science and social studies. Wow. Um, cool. Incredible, like... But it wasn't always like that for you in the, in the Buffalo school. No. No. For elementary school, it's more often than not you'll teach the same group of kids every subject all day long. Oh, my um, God. Which is challenging, And when you get to the upper elementary grade, you are having more specialized curriculum and it's hard to be good at everything. But with working in Buffalo, I had started out as an AmeriCorps volunteer member. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get paid like minus minimum wage, (laughs) Um, but you're in a school full time. And then I worked at a charter school in the city for five years. 
before moving to Vermont. And Vermont, I think statistically, is like 98% white. There's very little racial diversity, uh, yeah. especially where I work is rural, rural Vermont. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I drive really far to get to work, past lots of cows, um, <laughs> lots of horses. And you used to be able to walk to your job. Yeah, I lived a couple blocks away from my school in Buffalo. So the shift, there has been a cultural shift because there are similarities and there are plenty of differences between rural poverty-related issues mm-hmm. and urban poverty-related mm-hmm. issues in schools. So there are so many overlaps, but I had to get used to, you know, interacting with kids who go hunting and, you know, who might bring hunting things to school (laughs) to show you or like, you know, they go sledding at recess and yeah, in my mind, do such cool things. things. They're building fires and like we go on hikes. And so just the cultural shift of what is accepted whereas when you're in an urban school there's a tendency to fear kids having their own bodily autonomy or trusting them that they're not free will even yeah like that they're not going to hurt each other that they're playing and they're having fun and they can handle themselves outdoors i mean i didn't experience that working in the cities yeah Yeah. oh city yeah interesting and how about just like in your regular life because just not outside of teaching you've you definitely have had a big shift in yourself to moving out to vermont too yeah i there's not a lot of nightlife yeah where i am um and when i was living in buffalo i was going to punk shows a lot all the time yeah you know fucking up your knees like dancing on concrete floors in combat (laughs) boots like You know, you go out and you drink with your friends and spend money in stores, whereas I don't really have access to that in Vermont. And so you get home and it's dark at four o'clock and, you know, you make dinner and you hang out. It's just a lot slower. More relaxed. A lot more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. So I certainly miss it sometimes, especially because it is so different from my, like, prior life but you seem to have embraced it so much yeah it's great it has it's something access. you didn't know you needed oh my gosh yeah i think vermont is a place for people healing oh yeah. all that green so how, have you seen any good bands that have come through vermont at all in the last couple years like anybody <laughs> i've gone to no shows in vermont no i went to one there's one dive bar where i live and i went to the dive bar and there was like a punk electronic band and i remember they played a cover of i think it was bad town by operation ivy like that's literally the only (laughs) music that's the only music i've seen i mean there's there are other events like there's a lot of art events craft events Mm -hmm. they love their they love the puppets and they love the clowns in vermont and so you can go to like god that and puppet stuff yeah and like go see the circus their circus and pageantry so yeah no bands i mean i think in spring i'm gonna go see eliza mclam and hungry for the riffraff neither of which are punk bands they're like country indie whatever you're getting into whatever the fuck bluegrass shit yeah I'm like into bluegrass now like <laughs> I mean it's a hop skip and a jump from punk rock to bluegrass it is yeah. though it really true. is they're together you know that's true people like to I like bluegrass there's a little yeah. more chords in bluegrass yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. god right yeah. <laughs> a little bit more about teaching uh, what's your favorite thing about it what do you like best about teaching it's super creative 
I get to be super, super creative because your job is literally coming up with new things mm-hmm. for other humans to do for six hours a day. Yeah. So yeah. trying to make it interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah. Like, every day I have to come up with interesting ways to have... Well, a good teacher should be coming up with interesting mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. <laughs> or if school districts let you. Yeah, yeah. Them on their toes. That too, yeah. Yeah. Keeping them excited about learning. And getting them excited about what you're into. So with the grades that I teach, right, I get the coolest, well, maybe not the coolest, but I get the coolest stuff about, like, dinosaurs and rocks and the fun stuff of science. I'm not, you know, a high-level geologist, but I can (laughs) talk about dinosaurs all day. I can talk, we can have fun with that. Like, I get to do the cool introductory stuff that the kids get excited about. Yeah. Channeling your Ross Geller up in there. (laughs) With my school, I have a lot of freedom to create what I want to do in the classroom, whereas that's not necessarily what I've experienced working the same as more restrictions given your curriculum and I think a lot of people experience that you're given your curriculum and you follow it day by day and while that is true in some areas of my current teaching situation I have so much freedom and get to think about what my kids are interested in how do they want to learn so yeah it's just an incredibly creative thing to do if you're able to based yeah. on your situation. Yeah. Yeah. I know we were talking about that STEAM stuff that they have going on with the students, which I think is so cool how they put all the different subjects together. It makes it so much more interesting to learn, I think. Yeah. Getting to do projects with the kids and having them work together mm-hmm. is a great way to challenge them. What's your least favorite part about teaching? Hmm. The budget? No. <laughs> <laughs> I do love arguing for what I believe in and teaching. Yeah, I de- yeah, I guess dealing with any conversation where the premise is that we need to we're spending too much on education. Yeah. Because to me that's that's wrong from the outset mm-hmm. and you know towns want to save money, you know, they have to look really closely at their budgets. States want to save money, they have to look really closely at their budget. Supposedly the United States government <laughs> feels the same way apparently, <laughs> evidently beyond my grasp but (laughs) any conversation I see about education budgets where there's a sense of we are overspending or we need to account for our spending like that's bullshit it's wrong from the beginning yeah I can't even argue with you because I simply don't think you can spend too much on children's education yeah other countries that put so much money into their student education like People are way more successful. Yeah, in a lot of ways. They, yeah, but they don't want us to be more successful. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like, pay your teachers better. Put more money into the schools. Put more money into special ed funding. Like, put oh more God. money into social workers and guidance counselors. Yeah, all of those things. And so, I doing that will make everything work. It makes everything better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look for people who are like high achieving in college and and tap them for teachers we need highly qualified teachers and to really see it as like the profession that it is Mm -hmm. i mean i have a master's degree and i know how much money i'm going to make over the course of my career compared to other people who have master's degrees and it's that's frustrating um it's i think it's the most important job in the world i do too i agree i agree it's the future do you think that buffalo schools (coughs) has less of a budget for teaching or 
I think because I was at a charter school, I had a different experience because charter schools get less money per pupil, I believe, than a typical public school. It is a public school, but it was just a different conversation, I guess, there. So I don't really know too much about the urban schools here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what yeah. to say. Yeah. 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 I know yeah. there's a lot of really scary yeah. rhetoric right now towards oh, educators. Yeah. And I know that that's filtering down through parents and stuff pretty yeah. badly. What do you think people who are afraid of educators need to know? <laughs> They're, okay, Not so, to say it like that. Yeah, but, you know, know, there's that funny tiktoker instagrammer joe something or other and he's the one who does all the memes reading the wild shit that kindergartners write and he just says it in a really funny way and there's one clip of him where he talks about you know all these people think educators are making their kids gay and he was like i taught in the classroom for 10 years i couldn't even teach them to write their name and so (laughs) realistically (laughs) you can't teach kids to be these big scary well, it's like, quote, terms like no one is teaching kids to be trans no one is teaching no. kids to be gay no one is teaching kids to be liberal what an educator's job is is to give you accurate information yes. from which yeah, you yeah. draw your own conclusions so if your kid comes home sounding maybe more leftist than you are <laughs> it's not necessarily because their teacher told them that communism is good. <laughs> it's probably because they read information about the American capitalist system and drew their own conclusions. And isn't that what we want from yeah. education is yeah. you get accurate information yeah. and you read it, you digest it inside of your brain, you use like, all the peer-reviewed shit, not like opinions. Yeah. Because people read an opinion article and take it as... You know. Yeah, we don't have time to be making kids gay. Yeah. We have all these curriculum and standards we have to go If somebody can teach a kid to be gay, how are all these gay kids coming out of straight, heteronormative yeah. homes? Like, if that was something that could happen, why are straight people teaching their kids to be gay? Yeah. We you, can't, know, you can't teach anyone to be... It's just the dumbest logic. My favorite yeah. is, I went to the zoo yesterday, and now I'm a koala bear. <laughs> oh, and, and people get like... A little hung up on, oh, people on Twitter are talking about, or people online oh, are talking Twitter. and they're taking, like, these little things that maybe one person mm-hmm. is, is experiencing, and is and they blow it up into this, like, indictment of the system. Mm-hmm. Like, course, okay, yeah. we don't believe that there's trans kids, because what about kids who claim that they're koala bears, or whatever the fuck it is? And, and it's like, like, that's not what is truly happening at a systemic level. And acting like this is something completely new when it isn't. No. It's just, it's something that people often had to hide or were demonized yeah. for. But yeah. we're, like, we were progressing for a while. Shit's going crazy now, but that's the only reason people have a problem. It's, like, misdirection. Yeah, trans like, kids. Don't worry about this 1.5% of the American population. Come on, planes. Like, what's with you tonight? <laughs> They're right out. They're like, out here. Like, ugh. Um, because... <laughs> Trans kids have existed. Kids with disabilities, kids with autism have existed forever. This is nothing new. We are more inclusive as an educational society as we should be so that people can be successful and live their lives. So, Mm -hmm. you know, our grandparents, our parents went to school with people who were trans and simply didn't know. It's not this brand new thing. And yeah, I guess I kind of bird walked away from what I want parents 
and people to know, but teachers don't have... They're not indoctrinating your students. Yeah, they don't have as much power over your child's mind. They're... You know what has more power is that little computer. Yeah, phones, things that you say as a parent. Yeah, they take all of that in. People act like kids don't fucking take that in. They hear everything, and it's not their teacher that is going to make them see the world in a way that's different. It's they live in the world. Yeah, and if they're accurately teaching history and kids start to question that, then that's a good thing. That means yeah. it's like, hey, well, that's we should why be repeating shit. Most of history and mm-hmm. banned books yeah. and stuff because they don't want kids to know how fucked up our... Well, not, yeah, that, and they don't want people to know stories of stuff that they find uncomfortable. Yeah, like, like just, you know, it's fucking weird. People are weird. Everyone should watch the Trevor Noah stand-up oh, I gotta on Netflix, that. the new so one. I watch that. Getting into your chronic illness. Yay! So, yeah. Aww. So, disability. Disability. <laughs> so, yes, Emma got kind of fell into teaching. You fell into teaching because you got sick. So, when did you first get sick? And, Ooh. you know, tell us about how that came about. Okay, yeah, so I can tell kind of the two stories simultaneously. When I was finishing college in 2015, I was definitely overworked, all things like that, and I started getting really sick. I always had stomach issues. Me and Courtney are alike in that way. I always had digestive problems. Genetic trauma passed down into (laughs) chronic illness. Yep. Um, CPTSD, right? Chronic post-traumatic stress disorder. Probably doesn't help your... Yeah, CPTSD. Oh, you have that? I... Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to... Yeah, I think I was fully diagnosed with that. I I have never gone to an actual psychiatrist, so nobody's ever really diagnosed me with anything. But continue. That makes sense. Yeah. So... I was finishing college, you know, really, really stressed out by life in general, I guess, and I started having more stomach issues than I ever had, and I'm going to be very... Yes, very descriptions of... Very explicit, so... Of um, pooping illnesses, so, so if you guys don't like poop... If you I have a problem with bowel movements... That's what it's for you. Um, yeah, and so I started shitting blood, which was like, not, oh. and like many times a day, which is not something you should be experiencing. Just, oh, definitely not. Just blood? Um, no, I think it was poop and blood, but you should not experience that. And so I let it go for like a week or two mm-hmm. and contacted my doctor, and amazingly, she was incredibly responsive. I know I've had incredible doctors who are really responsive to me and I have a lot of privilege in that way whereas many people with chronic illnesses it takes so long for them to get diagnosed or they don't get the leave mm-hmm. um, I was able to get diagnosed very quickly and so my primary care doctor was like hmm you're only what was I 21 you, that should not be what you're experiencing let's get you in with a gastroenterologist mm-hmm. I ended up becoming so sick Towards the end of my, it was like my the last semester of college, I was hospitalized by the summertime. Mm-hmm. So while all of that was going on, I was also trying to figure out what to do after college. And I thought yeah. applying to grad school would be too hard. Mm-hmm. So instead, I applied to Teach for America, which is an incredibly long process, was not easier than applying to grad school. <laughs> and I got accepted. But as the summer wore on and I had been hospitalized, I couldn't do the program. You had to spend, I think, like six weeks at a training 
thing oh. in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and there was no way I could. I had been hospitalized for two weeks. I lost, like, 10 pounds, and I'm a thin person. I have a small body, and so 10 pounds was a lot. Mm-hmm. I was on a ton of steroids, and that was the first time that a surgeon had said, floated the whole surgery thing. At some point, you might want to get your colon taken out because you are more at risk for colon cancer. And I was like 21, 22. I'm like, that's not something I'm even going to consider. Crazy to bring up to me. Absolutely not. I was hospitalized for two weeks and I had to withdraw from Teach for America. And it's funny I even applied for it because I never wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. Like All the way growing up, it was never something I was particularly interested in I was just an English major who didn't know what to do after college yeah yeah. thought that would be the easy way out which is entirely inaccurate but then I did AmeriCorps instead so that summer after getting out of the hospital do you want to talk about what happened after I got out of the hospital yeah (laughs) we can do that okay so I remember it's hard it's hard for me to remember because guys to be honest I was I was a big partier at this time of my life, so I was a little fried, so I'm a little fried today, but not like I was then, and I just remember getting, like, a call from you, and you being like, you gotta come over here, I, I gotta talk to you about something, and you're oh really, really, like, urgent and excited, and you're like, my mom's coming over, like, we, we got something to talk about, and I'm like, okay, and I came to your house, and Sue wasn't there yet, and you were, like, the whole time I'm there talking to you, and you were just, like, going a mile a minute. I was talking to me. Yeah, and you were, like, I've been I've been up all night writing this, 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 and this. I'm coming up on all these projects. All this stuff is going on. From the steroids, right? Yeah, so, yeah. like, it triggered some sort of mania. Oh, yeah, which I didn't realize was a side effect. I think a couple people oh, tried to tell me I that. I tried to bring it up to you, and you got really mad. Yeah, I was in, so after the hospital, I was on, well, while I was in the hospital, prior to that, I was on such high doses of prednisone, and then in the hospital, some liquid steroid, like an IV steroid, that I was in a mania, a full-on manic episode. I mean, getting up at 2 a.m., deciding I'm going to go for a run and play my clarinet and writing (laughs) in my diary and, like, totally off the chain. I have never experienced that before or since, and one of the decisions I made during that time was I needed to get married. to get married. I had to get married to my partner at the time, and we needed to get married. Then it needed well, to happen. Originally, it wasn't going to happen for a year. Yes. And you were going to have it at some fucking... Oh, wait, totally place downtown, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I was oh, like, yeah. I'm all cute. Since when do you even want to get married? Like, literally growing up, I never wanted to. Yeah, we're all the same. My whole thing was I was never going to get married, and, like, I was going to have a boyfriend when I was 60, and stuff like that. <laughs> but, no, I was, like, in this manic episode of we need to get married, and we need to get married right the fuck now. Yeah. And it was funny, because originally it was like a year. Oh, yeah, and then it was. And then it called me like a week later, and you're like, we're getting married in two weeks. And I was like, well... I'm going to be at Electric Forest. No, I, Electric Forest? no it was, was it? Moonrise. Oh, it was Moonrise? It was Moonrise, which was in Baltimore. And I was like, oh. Emma, do you really have to do it that weekend? I really want to be at your wedding. I've had and I was like, no, I have to. And you were like... You said something really fucking snide to me, too, that I don't remember. And I was just like, it was, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm, 
you're a manic, and I didn't know. I knew something wasn't right. So I didn't really take any of that to offense. And then, I mean, I wasn't at your wedding, so, which doesn't matter because they're divorced now. So. Right, we are. <laughs> I mean, that it doesn't matter, but, like, even though it matters, like, I, you know. It's so wild, and, yeah, I was totally totally off the chain so if you know anyone in your life who's on heavy doses of steroids you know if they start having a manic episode be aware that it's a possibility Um, don't really know what to do to help you in that situation yeah what would anyone do right like because i because you can't really talk them out of it no i couldn't hear anything anyone was saying to me because i don't you are not the only person who was raising a few question flags and i was just like nope nope, nope, this is it, this is what we're doing, this is what's happening, and that is it. And I'm a stubborn person in my non-manic life, and I yeah. I usually go with what I think is the right <clears throat> thing to do, so I guess it was just extremely amplified yeah. from that. So after getting out of the hospital, that was one of the hardest things I'd gone through at that point, mm-hmm. and then you're in this state of euphoria was how I thought of it at the time like oh my god I just survived this incredible thing and I'm euphoric and life is amazing and I (laughs) was able to eat again and you know figuring out the next thing to do in my life and but it was you know I I wasn't I remember I just was it was fine that you were marrying him it was was like the crazy thing that it had the way it happened yeah it wasn't a random person it wasn't also yeah she had been with him for years yeah it was like five years at that point so I guess it wouldn't have been a super unexpected thing for people just the urgency of it was totally bonkers out of left field and then it was funny because then like a month later you were completely fine oh yeah and then I had to reckon with the oh my god I just got married yeah so I was in therapy at the time and trying to understand what had happened and deal with the feeling of I never wanted to be married mm-hmm. and obviously it ends with me getting divorced so mm-hmm. well you know maybe I was also questioning the not just the act of getting married but the relationship itself yeah and trying to figure out what to do with that as well which is also very hard yeah yeah. And then we were, you know, we stayed together for another five years after that. So yeah. it was a long yeah. relationship. Yeah. And then that's right. not bad then. I mean, my yeah. parents gotten married and divorced twice and he was engaged. So yeah. you're doing fine. And he like wants to get <laughs> engaged to so everyone he dates, pretty much. So. <laughs> yeah. No offense. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what is this? But I was super lucky in having someone that was really supportive yeah. the whole time that I was yeah. sick. Yeah. And I had to take injections at one point for one of the medications. And it was so painful. <sighs> and I hated it. And it, was, it freaked me out. It was so scary. And he you know, got trained by the nurse to do it. I definitely had someone who was able to handle what was going on with my illness during that oh, time. Good. So Good. Yeah. Yeah. We won't have to talk about the full five years of marriage or anything, but as I noted, you ended up getting divorced, and it, let's see. And isn't that an accomplishment in itself? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it is an amicable divorce, too. It wasn't dirty. You guys are still on good good terms. Life happens. Yeah, you do what you think is the best with the information you have, and we got together as 
kids. Yeah. Yeah. Traumatized little kids. People people grow apart and Yeah. And you make it a decision and sometimes you feel like you have to stick with that decision and maybe you stick with it for longer than is good for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you know, post divorce, you're dating. You get introduced to rock climbing, and then you seem to have really embraced it. Yeah, I always liked reading books about adventure, right? Yeah. Like mountain climbing, mountaineering, and survival stories, and then when I met my current partner, he did that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, huh, you can do that. Yeah. It's not just like something you read about, and I wanted to get more into the outdoors i wanted to learn more about plants and animals and i always really didn't like working out like going to the gym and working out i did yoga for a long time and loved that but actually in like high school yeah i always looked like a dinosaur though dancing so (laughs) like not (laughs) dinosaur that's what everyone always tells me is like look at you dinosaur dancing um which is fine and so with rock climbing, it was like the only one of the only workouts where I was like, "Wow, I feel like I'm actually getting really, really strong." Yeah, you can see your progress super well. I I'm not good with having like a training plan or anything like that. That's something I would like to do, but with getting involved with rock climbing, I'm definitely stronger than I've ever been. I can do it with having an ostomy bag. Yeah, um, you know, I can integrate yoga into it, and I've been able to go see some really incredible shit because I've gone rock climbing. Yeah. Because you kind of make it a point, you know, I want to go see this cool thing and I can climb what's here. That's awesome. Yeah. It's super cool. Super fun. I feel super strong when I'm doing it. It's so cool. You can see your progress. There's a crab on me. Good job. Yeah. I mean, you're on ropes. I don't like bouldering. That's scary. That's when you don't have any ropes and you, you know, you don't go super, super high, but I find that very frightening. Yeah. That's scary as hell. I'm not as willing to do scary stuff. So what was your first big climb that you did that you were super proud of? Even just getting outside, being outside is scary. Like climbing in the gym versus climbing outside, it is a totally different world because oh, yeah. when yeah. you're climbing... It's all the elements. All the elements. You have to hike to where you want to climb. You have to know the route you're going to climb. You have to figure out how to be safe on it. My most incredible... And it's only been two years that I've been climbing, so there's lots still so much that you could do. But this summer on our road trip, we managed to get into a climbing group that was climbing on Devil's Tower or Bear Lodge. National so London, cool. which is wow. rife with some controversy around climbing and yeah. indigenous groups. So it's it's one that I feel some conflict about, but it was a really cool experience because we were we didn't plan most of our road trip and we ended up camping overnight at devil's tower and this older woman came up to us while we were cooking dinner she starts talking to us and asks if we were there to climb we didn't have any climbing guides for devil's tower it wasn't really in our plan we we're like no but secretly hoping she would come back to ask us to go climbing with her which she did the next That's day awesome. it was just like 
60-year-old woman oh, who, wow. had, yeah, who had a group of people that she was climbing with, one of whom was an 87-year-old man. Wow! And we, you know, she had other people our age who were coming to meet her, and they do trad climbing, which is where you place your own gear as you're going up, which neither me nor my partner know how to do yet, but is something he's particularly interested in. And so they also acted like mentors to him on that, giving him some tips on trad climbing. And that was just such an incredible experience because it was like the community plus the incredible place you are, plus the climbs. That's a happenstance. That is happenstance. Yeah. It was wonderful. And um, Wyoming. Okay. Okay. I always want to say South Dakota. But I'm quite positive it's in Wyoming because the last time I said it was in South Dakota, I was wrong. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully I'm right. It's okay, Lou. Kind of going a little back again. So you got into rock climbing and you were first doing it indoors. Yep. And how did you break your arm? <laughs> I broke my arm <laughs> immediately. It was like the, the second or third time I was actually climbing. And you got right back to it. After I, got right back to it. I thought okay. you were so great. And it was the first bone I ever broke. And I Isn't was, it a weird experience? This... <laughs> Well, the wild thing is, I was climbing, and it was slightly overhung, super easy climb, now that I actually know about climbing, but I was not yet, I guess, strong enough to be doing that, and I... Outside or inside? Inside. And I don't have the training for how to fall correctly. (laughs) Okay. Which is so... You weren't born with the falling grace that I have, because I fall perfectly all the time. And you know, I never did anything scary as a kid. That was never allowed to like take risks and fall so everything i had to be super safe and never did anything dangerous and so i was climbing this slightly overhung boulder for anyone who rock climbs it was literally a v1 and i was not strong enough yet to do it and my partner was being very good and encouraging and i went to go grab a hold and i I somehow swung off and i fell onto my elbow but like but you said don't drop me or something before, like a few minutes beforehand. Yeah, I thought he was spotting me. (laughs) I think he said he was spotting me. We have slightly different recollections of the story, and it's like neither his fault nor my fault. Oh, yeah. It's like traumatic, and then you're like, I don't know what happened. I will say, I, I hope this is okay for me to say, I will say there's another Emma in my partner's life when he was a child who also broke their arm while they were climbing a tree with my partner. So, like, I'm not the first Emma whose arm has been broken. Oh, my God. As a result. He's like a serial (laughs) Emma arm breaker. So, no, it was was me. It's a funny story, though. But I literally, I'd never broken an arm before, so it was a totally new sensation to me. Such a weird feeling. For some reason, I was like, huh, what's even there to break? Like, my elbow. My elbow was there to break. And I was just like, no, it's fine. Mind you, I couldn't I couldn't bend it up toward my shoulder. I couldn't straighten it out. And, you know, I was just like, oh, it's fine. And, you know, we still went and got takeout food, hung out for the rest of the night. It wasn't until I, I got home. Like that's a common thing with broken limbs. People are like, yeah. all right. I'm like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine in the morning. My bone is sticking out of my skin, but it's fine. I'll survive. And I remember going home that night, and our dad was there, 
and I was describing to him what happened, and and he didn't seem too concerned. But he's just weird. Which is weird. <laughs> he's trying to stretch it out, trying to bend it, and we decided we would go to urgent care in the morning. And yeah. I had broken a piece of my elbow. Uh, also, that like swollen, bruise, anything? No, it wasn't wow. swollen or bruised. It was actually, as far as breaks go, I guess like, that not that bad of a break. Oh, that's good. I I mean, I slept on it. Like I functioned. Yeah. You know, yeah. I carried takeout food with it like an idiot. Oh God! <laughs> I remember <laughs> when I broke my ankle that. <laughs> First, not the first night, but the it was the night before I was able to get an actual cast on it. Because the night I broke it, I was just like, I think I'm done roller skating now. Yeah, and I just went I'm to bed. Break. And then you rolled into my room and was like, <laughs> Can you take me to urgent care? And I was like, Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I can't put any weight on it. That I still funny. think it's my fault. I'm like, oh. Let's just practice and like no it's my fault i knew we in my made, head it was gonna happen I yeah thought, <laughs> we made like some intuition and i was like dude i had heart surgery intuition before i got food poisoning this week yeah i did not think it was gonna be from the chili in my fridge i thought it was gonna be a meal like a microwave meal that i had in my back seat for that was not <laughs> I threw it out. I didn't eat it. I didn't eat it. I was like, did you eat that? This whole time, I was like, I was like, why do I feel like I'm going to get food poisoning? And then it fucking happened. (laughs) Your body was, it's kind of like when you try to, when you go to eat mushrooms and your body is like, is this poison? It knows. (laughs) Dude, that chili was so good though. It was fine. That chili was so fucking good. And I remember seeing it in your fridge before you ate it and being like, I wonder if that's still good. I wonder if she's Oh God, well I'm glad you didn't eat it. (laughs) Yeah. So I will say this, I fell off a 12, it was at least 12 foot pole once. Oh. Drunk. Holy crap. And I, it was the only time I ever fell and for some reason i had was able to i don't know if it was because okay i started like going backwards and i had legging things like arm or leg warmers on yeah and i did something stupid and i (laughs) i started to fall and i threw myself forward to try to like grab yeah and i ended up falling on my side so i don't know how i did it but i i mean i was totally fine but it was it was kind of scary. What is the phrase like? God saves drunks and children, or something like that. <laughs> or like you just bounce off things easier if you're drunk. Yeah, you know, I mean, your body is just I've never like, heard that. Yeah, you're basically <laughs> yeah. just a like a floppy thing because yeah. that's why usually the drunk driver is the one that survives. I was not. Ugh. I was not drunk rock climbing. I no, was just no. no I didn't no. know how to fall. I just yeah. didn't know how to fall exactly. Correctly. Yeah. <laughs> How long ago that you were like, you know what, I'm sick of Buffalo, I'm going to move to Vermont? Yeah, so I've lived in Vermont now a year and a half. So it was like two years ago at this point where I, you know, had gotten divorced, I had moved back in with my parents, and it felt like I didn't have a reason to be in Buffalo anymore. And like I had done everything I wanted to do, and I'd been to all, you know, I'd been to the Eternal Flame a hundred times, and I'd been to all the shops a hundred times. And so I started looking for teaching jobs in other states. I had looked at jobs in Arizona and California. And then schools in Vermont were calling me back. Yeah. Um, And I went to visit and it's a beautiful place. So I was just like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. (laughs) So it's It's been two years, I guess. Yeah. 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 
gorgeous. So I can't like remind me of the timeline. So getting back to your illness, because we forgot to mention earlier, yeah. you had a, you were suffering from ulcerative colitis. Yeah, I didn't even say it. So I was sick with ulcerative colitis, which if you've heard of Crohn's disease, it's similar to Crohn's disease. Um, from what I understand, Crohn's disease can affect any part of your intestinal tract, I think from your esophagus down to your rectum, whereas ulcerative colitis is centered in your colon. Mm-hmm. So mine was in my colon. Your colon is your large intestine, your bowels, those are all the same, the same word thing. Yeah. Yeah. Synonyms. Yeah. And I have a version of it too. Yeah. I just haven't had my colon out. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm not going to talk too deeply into my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. It's gross. I'll serve Claire. So you were hospitalized right before going up to Vermont, right? Yeah. It was a wild time to move. So the very first time I was hospitalized was after graduating college. And then I went, I think it was like five years, basically having symptoms but not sick enough to be hospitalized. I was highly functioning, the infusion I was on was working, and then after I got divorced, it's just like shit literally hit the fan. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Pun intended. (laughs) Hit the fan. And... I, so, yeah, it was all the stress, too. I think, like, it was all the stress, like, huge life changes. Yeah, Yeah. all at once. All at once, everything, like, my whole life had kind of, I had blown up my whole life, basically, that year. You know, I left this 10-year-long partnership, I was thinking about moving, I had you know, stopped living out of my parents' house. I was mm-hmm. back with them. My last living grandparents died that year. I broke my arm rock climbing. Every single thing. I was turning 28, 29, so my mm-hmm. Saturn return was just boom. Here we are. It's like kicking your ass. Ready to go. <laughs> and so before I moved to Vermont, so it was like June of that year, I had to be hospitalized after the school year ended, so like the beginning of July. I was hospitalized maybe for a week or so, and it kind of seemed like maybe things were better enough where I could get released. They probably yeah. weren't. It probably, I probably oh, you were really, really sick. I was still really, really like, sick. Like, I feel like there was a huge sense of denial going on. Yeah. Because you, it's like you don't know how sick you are until yeah, you're you're like, but I'm fine. And, and <laughs> we went on a week-long camping trip in West Virginia and went rock climbing, like, Hiking. I should not have been doing that, but I did, and yeah. I don't recommend being incredibly chronically ill and <laughs> going rock climbing. And and going rock climbing, but so then I moved to Vermont in, I guess, the beginning of August, and I was hospitalized in September. Okay, almost year. immediately. Almost immediately. Yeah. I, I think we were in school for like two weeks, and yeah. I was hospitalized. My mom had to come up to Vermont, and I don't remember how long I was hospitalized then, but essentially my gastroenterologist in Vermont, he was incredible, and he basically was like, okay, we can try one more medication, and this is really the last resort, and if it doesn't work, you really are going to need to have surgery to get my colon taken out. And so we tried the medication, gave it a couple weeks, my mom went back to Buffalo, and then in October... It was just, it never got better. Nothing ever yeah. got better. And it got to the point where I... And this is still you, like, pooping blood. Yes. Tons and of times a day. I mean, 10, 12 
times a day. That's horrible. At night, I would sleep maybe two hours, two, Mm -hmm. three hours, because I was getting up multiple times a night. It was horrific. You have, like, the most horrific stomach cramps. It would feel like all of a sudden I could feel, like, literally a wave of blood inside of me. Oh. Like, in my colon. That's what it, like, how I thought of it. It was, like, this wave of blood. And it was just like, oh, gotta go now. Yeah. And so I wasn't sleeping. I was slamming insures, the meal replacement, because I was losing nutrients like crazy. And it's hard because you're in a new place and you're not really around anybody you know who would be like... Yo, this isn't okay. Yo, go to the hospital. Yeah. yeah. And you don't know, I guess. I don't know. Or I didn't know that it was... As bad as it was. And it's and you're experiencing it and you just keep living. I was going to the gym. Yeah. I would go sit in the sauna. Like, that's crazy. crazy. <laughs> and I'd wake up with, like, horrific night sweats because my body couldn't regulate my temperature. My GI doctor in Vermont, the first time I'd been hospitalized there... I had basically seen him the night before. I'd gotten blood work and went home, you know, went to work the next day. And I was driving home from work and I was so, so exhausted. Like the fatigue of the whole thing is crazy. And I was so exhausted. I'm like, I just have to get home so I can lay down and take a nap. I got home. I had all these missed calls on my phone because I didn't have service at work because I'm in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And my GI doctor had called me a bunch of times yeah. leaving me voicemails that I needed to get to the hospital because my blood work was so bad. Oh like God. I needed an immediate blood transfusion. And he was like, I'm trying to reach you. Oh God. Where are you? So oh my so God. Yeah. And when I got there, the doctors were like, yeah, your GI doctor was like about to call the cops, like to go oh look for God. you because it was, your blood work was so bad. Oh that, my like, God. You say worried you were dead. So <laughs> it's his doctor. I know. Like, I know. I was saying that for a saying you have a GI doctor. I know. I know. And so that was the first time I was hospitalized in Vermont in September. I had to get two blood transfusions and started this new medication hoping it would work. It did not work. So at the end of October, I called my GI doctors and I was like, we had basically been in the process of me meeting with a specialist about surgery. I had come to the point of acceptance. Okay, I'm going to have to get the colon surgery. Okay. And but I wasn't gonna see the surgeon until January for yeah. like a referral appointment. Oh my god! Which is insane because I was like, I, it, it got to the point where I was like, I cannot keep doing this. Yeah, yeah. I'm too sick. Yeah, I can't keep missing work. It's never getting better. Yeah, if you have a cold, you take off work, you sleep. The next day, maybe you feel fine. With the ulcerative colitis, I was taking off work. I was going to work. And I was never going to feel better. Yeah. So they referred me to a hospital in New Hampshire that is known for their GI work. And my mom, again, came up from Buffalo, did yeah. the eight-hour drive. And Aww. she took me. We had to drive like an hour to that hospital. I got in. And I think within two or three days, I was in surgery and had my entire colon removed, most of my rectum and my appendix that's attached to your colon which i did not know oh, oh my god and i had and a, you have a picture of i it have too, a picture right? of it because i really wanted to see it i was like i want to see this thing that is poisoning me yeah but they they took a picture of it for me and it's pretty gross yeah Do they know what accelerated that or is it really just a genetic thing so it's an autoimmune disease and 
with autoimmune diseases, it doesn't really seem like they know the rhyme or reason. Wow. Why some people get it, why some people don't. Stress can make it worse. Certain foods could bother it, but there's no, like, cause and effect. Yeah, Yeah, there's no cause and effect with it. Bodies are weird. Well, yeah. shout out to your mom. Oh my yeah. gosh! I mean, she stayed with me for like almost two months to yeah, bitch to take care of me because after my surgery, you know, they're like, you can't lift anything heavier than a gallon of milk. Yeah. I couldn't do dishes. I couldn't clean. I your mom's name. Sue. Sue. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say Cindy. <laughs> I know that's, that's my mom. Emma and I have the same dad. Yes. We have different mummies. Yeah. I don't really. She's my sister. I don't. Yeah, of course. Discriminate. Yeah, don't Um, discriminate. (laughs) Yeah, so I needed her there to help with everything and also the emotional. Yeah. Dude, you just need your mom. You just need your mom. Yeah. (laughs) Like the emotional toll of I moved somewhere new to have this whole new life and. There were periods where I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. I mean, I have the whole new life now. Like, once you get through it, it's like, my life is infinitely improved. Right, yeah. And the physical considerations of like, oh my god, now I have a literal bag of poop hanging from my stomach all the time. Yeah. That's really hard to adjust to emotionally. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we're. I'm just gonna ask you a little bit about that. Yeah. Living, living with that, or maybe ask about some mishaps and things. But I wanted to ask you, who is Shy Halud? Yeah. When I got my colon, <laughs> when I got my ileostomy surgery. So because I had my whole colon removed, I have an ileostomy. Which oh, I'm saying I I knew it was ileostomy, and I kept saying ostomy. I'm sorry. Ostomy is just like the short. I think. Oh, okay. You could have a, it. Could be a colostomy. It could be an ileostomy. But I have an ostomy. Babe. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So the ileostomy is you've gotten your colon out, and so they take your small intestine and they bring up like an inch or so of it, and it comes out of your stomach out of your abdomen so there's an inch of a thing that looks kind of like a worm (laughs) which is my small intestine that sticks up outside of my body and it poops and it farts (laughs) all the time i can't control it it's not making too much noise now which is good you can't control anything about it and you basically have an adhesive around it that a bag attaches to and that collects your poop Mm -hmm. and so when i had the surgery and saw my ileostomy i called it shy halud which is the god in Dune, like the worm god. Yeah. <laughs> it looks it looks like a worm. It's and also good. like <laughs> the spice must flow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it just flows out. Yeah. Like there's uh, you have no control. So Yeah, so that's for, what it is. Fans of Dune out there. Yeah. It's kinda cute that you have a name for it though. Like it's your little pal that helps you out. Yeah, he keeps yeah. me alive. Now yeah. you're the bionic woman. I am. Like yeah. I would be I would probably be dead without yeah. it. Like, so. You had such an amazing bounce back, and I wanted to ask you about that, too. So, yeah. like, it was, like, almost, ins- I mean, you healed, and you were just, like, better. And it was you were cr- just, yeah. like, doing all What was things. the first big meal you ate? Oh, you were eating big meals the whole time, though. Because you were always so hungry. Yeah, so, like. I remember they told you you had to stop ordering meals. Oh, yeah, yeah. at the hospital. <laughs> I was ordering a little bit too much. Oh, man, I wish I remember the first big meal. But, like, basically they increase the food that you can eat as you're healing. So you can't start out with, like, crunchy veggies, right? You have to start out with, like, rice and potatoes and really easy to digest stuff. 
and you add in more over time. And right now, I have no issues with any food. Other people might have issues with mushrooms and beans and stuff like that, corn, but I've been able to eat everything and had no problems. Oh, I wish I could remember the first big meal, but even just having raw fruits and vegetables was huge because I went months without being able to. I know, you, you couldn't oh. eat them at all. Like, not, not at all. I mean, oh, going out to eat. Those were some of the things I remember. The first times going out to eat after my surgery would go to, like, diners and I would order a meal and I'd eat the whole thing, and I didn't feel like I had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. That was mind-blowing to me because I lived my whole life like instant. having to go to the bathroom immediately yeah. after I ate. Yeah. And I never have to feel that. I never feel that. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No more for you. No more, like, I've had maybe three stomach aches since my surgery, like, legitimate stomach aches. And I'm like, oh. This is what a stomach ache is. I've never experienced yeah, this. It was always it was just always you're gonna go have to go poop, yeah, immediately. Yeah. And now I don't have that feeling. So having like a stomach ache is kind of a wild experience too. Yeah. Yeah. So this past summer we kind of talked about it a little earlier, but you went on a road trip with your partner. I did. How long were you guys traveling across the country? It was six weeks. Yeah. Six wow. glorious weeks. The teacher schedule. Yeah. It was incredible. We left in July. Was that six weeks? Sure. Five, six weeks. We left yeah. in July, got back in August, and went to the northern U.S. all the way out to the Oregon coast, and then came back through the center of the U.S. And yeah, like as someone who previously had a chronic illness, just being able to do that yeah. was crazy and how easy it was with the ostomy bag. Like, well, that's what I was going to ask. I'm um, getting used to the ostomy bag because, you know, yeah. it's like... I remember when you first had the surgery, obviously, and you're still kind of getting used to mm-hmm. having it. It's it's like a new appendage almost. Yeah, I'd say. for sure. How did you, yeah, you said it was relatively easy with to deal on the road? Yeah, because, right, you have to poop in the woods, and just like anybody else, you dig a cat hole a couple inches down. Oh, you, you don't have to worry about squatting, you just dump it out. <laughs> pretty, yeah, you just, like, dump it out. It's, like, not hard at all. I was pretty surprised. And, like, if people are out backpacking, they have to poop into bags, too, and carry it around with them. Yeah. Mine, I just always do that. Yeah. So it was it was easy, and I also feel incredibly comfortable, like, having my ostomy bag visible. So going yeah. swimming and stuff like that, like, I don't wear any covers, you know, if I'm uncomfortable, because it's, it's a whole sensory thing as well. So oh, I'm thinking thought. about what clothing is comfortable. And, like, if I'm uncomfortable, I'll just pull the ostomy bag out and it's there. Yeah. And, you know, there have been moments where I notice people see it and that's okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's nothing to be ashamed about. Like, no, I want to be. I know some people are fucking weird as hell about stuff, but people need to not be like that. Yeah. Representation. Exactly. And that's why I wanted to bring you on here because, like, yeah. such a cool story. Now, kind of a couple, like, more lighthearted things. I was wondering if you have had any mishaps with dealing with your ostomy. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to tell those stories. There's one I'll tell you about off air. Okay. <laughs> but, no, I. I mean, right? It's a bag of poop. So yeah, yeah. Things are going to happen. Yeah. Things are going to happen. Luckily, I would say I've had two mishaps. Yeah. Two. Whoa. Oh, my God. This is leaking. <laughs> oh, dear. That's only happened twice. 
Sorry, which is very lucky. I would say, like, the the issue, this isn't a mishap, but, like, one of the issues with it is it's an adhesive. Yeah. It's like wearing a really heavy-duty Band-Aid on your skin 24-7. So itchy. So the itch. It's the freaking itch. And so I have all itched my skin bloody raw. I bet. Oh, my God. That is not fun. But, yeah. That's, like, the biggest thing. And when I first had the ostomy you have to measure the stoma that's the that's the part of the intestine that's sticking out and it's generally circular oh, yeah you have to measure it every time you cut a new wafer that's the adhesive that goes on your skin and i hated measuring it they yeah. give you this like thick paper template and i just imagined it being sharp and you have to Ugh. position it around the stoma and measure it and it just was like it made me so uncomfortable but once it goes to it's like constant size after a few weeks you don't have to do that so when I first had the surgery it would take me 45 minutes an hour to go through the whole egg change and now I can do it in 10 minutes or less basically it's like no problem yeah but you know while you're changing it you're not in control of it so like you could be pooping. <laughs> oh no! At the same time, you're changing it, and then it's like, oh no! Oh, Why do I have to make it clean? Oh god! <laughs> so, like, that's not the most fun, but that doesn't happen very yeah. often. That's and good. yeah, and I had meant to ask this earlier, so I guess we could just like end it. Well, not end it, but do you have any funny stories about your students? Any funny student stories you'd like to share? Many, many student stories. Okay, my current favorite one, which I think I told you this one on Christmas, yeah. is sometimes the kindergartners and first graders, when they're being misbehaving, they have to come to my room because I'm like one of the big kid teachers and they have to come and sit in my room to like chill out before they can go back to class. And I had this adorable little kindergartner come in and I have two desks where they can sit, one at the front of the room and one at the back. And he went to go sit at the one in the front of the room and I had all these crafts that my kids had made about like the sun, moon, and earth. And I was like, I said to the kid, I'm like, put on my big teacher voice like, okay, you know, you're going to sit right here, but these are crafts that the sixth graders made, so you're not going to touch them. And he goes, okay, but... I might get really interested. (laughs) (laughs) I had to try so hard to keep a straight face. It was so cute. So that's really funny. And then kids. I had the kids decorate a folder the one time. And one of my students went to write country on it, but they misspelled it. (laughs) They didn't spell country correct. And they just wrote C-U-N-T-Y over and over and over. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, we're gonna, we got to edit that. We got to edit that. Oh. It was like, that one, I think, tops my list of student that's stories. The, the kindergartner one is just like, that's so new and fresh yeah, to me. It's so funny, precious. but I think Aww. those are some that definitely top. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have for questioning um, you today. Questioning, drilling you. Yes. Um, Was there anything that maybe you had any messages for our listeners or anybody dealing with chronic illness or anybody who has, you know, a disability or even kids in school? I don't know. Like, anything you want to say to our listeners? Yeah, we are kind of talking off air. Just it is so important to be able to have a doctor who you 
can talk to and who will listen to you and who can advocate for you. So if you're having stomach or poop issues, having a primary care doctor who will take that seriously and not dismiss you yeah. is super, super important. And like chronic illness is incredibly difficult to deal with. Yeah. I've had a really hard time trying to find a primary, so. Yeah. Hopefully you can get someone good. Yeah. Who will listen to you. That's the key. Because chronic illness really does take so long for so many people to diagnose. Mm -hmm. And it might come down to people not being believed that their fatigue is real, that their pain is real, that their symptoms are real. Well, it's in your head. Yeah. Yeah. Take it seriously. Yeah. You have hysteria. Let's lock you in a room. (laughs) (laughs) I... I did my civil duty of the insurance company had to pay a lot to keep me alive. So like, if you have health insurance, do your civic duty. Go to the doctor. (laughs) Make your money worth it. Yeah, take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all I have to say. Thank Thanks. you so much. This uh, was a great time. It was so fun talking. This yeah. was a great first bitch session. Yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. And you did a great job, Abby. You're a great guest. We'll definitely yeah, have you on. Maybe talk about some more education reform someday. Yeah. Gemini Mercury, Gemini Sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yes. to talk. Oh, you guys yeah. can do a whole Aust- uh, Aust- astrology. Astrology. <laughs> Oh my god, we would have astrology to segment. We would have to have Aaron on that, that one segment. though, because Aaron knows everything. That would be a lot of yeah. well, not everything, but she does a great job. She I'll just sit lot. here in the corner and drink while you guys talk about I it because I don't know <laughs> shit about astrology. <laughs> You're just like tell me everything. Tell me. <laughs> Can somebody go over my chart with me? I was gonna ask you if you could go over oh, my chart with me because I so don't understand it. <laughs> I you know it's I can try, but there's so much I don't know yeah. either. <laughs> that was like my COVID project was like try and learn astrology try and learn tarot but I haven't really kept up much since then yeah I tried to learn at one point and I was like this is a lot and I just stopped so much (laughs) it's incredible systems well I was like using a couple apps that were just giving me a lot of like anxiety and making me feel bad about myself and my astrology (sighs) so that wasn't fun so I was really not into astrology for a hot minute but now that I have the Chani app it's so good I love that Shout out, sponsor us. I know. Oh my god, yes, please. She is amazing. Everybody should go follow her. She's a great astrologer. Yeah. So she's not sponsoring us, but I'll, you know, I sponsor her. Shout out. In my mind. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be friends someday. But other than that, it would be really great if you guys would leave us a five star review if you like our podcast. Maybe give us a follow and tell your friends about us. Yeah, we're on Spotify, Apple, Audible, Amazon. Yeah. 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 I think you should set up auto downloads. That's a good thing to do. Oh, is Uh, there a way to do that? Yeah. You on Spotify you can set it in your settings to like auto download certain podcasts which is what i do because i have no service on my drive oh in rural i didn't know that i have to turn that on for somebody i have to look into that to have it like downloaded so okay like the podcast you should auto download it oh i thought you were telling me to like that I need to make it so people could auto download. No, no, no. They can do it themselves. <laughs> they can do it themselves, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, auto yeah. Download our podcast. So that when you're driving in rural mountainous yeah. regions and you don't have service, you can listen to it. Yeah, you can listen to our beautiful voice then. That's awesome. Yes. There you yeah. go. We'll see you. Well, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> we'll see you. We're watching we'll you. We'll see you. We're we'll 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 recorded from Buffalo. <laughs>
Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in and we love you. Stay bad, bitches. Bad Bitch segment is written, hosted, and produced by Courtney Janicki and Kate Salamon. Podcast art by Laura Grote at LA Promotional Design. Edited by Courtney Janicki. Music by Alexi Action. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Bad Bitch Segment. Suggest a bad bitch or share a bad bitch story by sending an email to the podcast at badbsegment at gmail.com. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible.